Welcome to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And with us today is Travis Felder. He's the founder and CEO of TechRow, as well as the author of several pieces for the New York Times, including a guide to using virtual reality in education. Travis, it is such an honor and a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Really? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, the pleasure is all ours. Travis, we would love to just start by asking you about your work with Tech Row. Um, would you just kind of explain to our listeners uh, what the goal of your organization is and what the work you've been doing is? Sure, sure. I always, um, I always like to start with our uh, the origin of our of our organization. So, um, I founded the organization in Harlem, New York, which is. Uh, um, a mecca for black culture, um, historically significant uh, in terms of its contributions to social advancement and, and history as a whole. Um, so it's also a place that has a lot of structural challenges as well, particularly in, in schools and how students get access to educational services and, and great educational experiences. And our goal is really to look at ways to kind of improve that scenario. How can classrooms be more engaging? Um, how can students get more excited about, about learning? And we began experimenting with a variety of pilots that would focus on you know, taking students to uh, different destinations and virtual realities. And we saw that there was just a great opportunity to bring experiences that would traditionally be disconnected from a lot of the students that we were serving. Um, so, so that's when I decided to kind of start Tech Row because I saw that there was a great need to you know, bring these outstanding opportunities to students. So that's our origin story. That's tremendous. I, I love that it was about providing great educational opportunities first and the tech kind of followed and, and served that objective. I think so often you hear in the ed tech world, like, hey, we've got this new piece of technology. Let's try to force it into classrooms. Let's try to make it fit. But you were first and foremost concerned about education and that's awesome. What is it about immersive technologies in particular that you find compelling for meeting the students' needs? Yeah, imagine, you know, you're in a space for, you know, long periods of time and your classroom scenarios or scene doesn't really have much variation. There's like the desk, there are the windows, there's a smart board. Um, I think it's a great way to disrupt um, a lot of that, right? If you can put on a headset and then be transported to a different place, you're now able to liberate your mind into destinations that you would not have traditionally had access to going to. And it opens up a whole new opportunity to engage students in conversations that are enriching. So I think immersive technologies are, are great opportunities to catalyze things like that. Yeah. Travis, do you also see it being liberating for the supply side of the equation? Do you think that some of these immersive technologies empower the instructor and uh, maybe dematerialize some of the more traditional institutions? Um, I think they actually, they, they heighten and improve, right? I don't believe that these technologies in and of themselves will necessarily displace um, a lot of the, the, the contact and, and, and impacts that come with conventional teaching and learning. Um, and, and for us, 
what has made us successful in, in growing um, in the New York City public school system and in LA and a variety of other places is that we approach it from that lens. You know, our goal is to show how it's a supplemental tool, how it can accelerate um, conversations on subjects that could be difficult to teach, right? The, the idea is that if you're teaching something that kind of lives in a place conceptually that feels out of reach and you could actually connect the student with a subject in a more direct way where they can immerse themselves in the content, you can bring into focus a lot of what you're, you're trying to teach and what's difficult to get students to understand. So that's, that's our philosophy and our general approach is how can we integrate this into your learning environment so that you know it's a shiny object but it also becomes a part of the culture of the school how do you make sure that that it's not just a thousand dollar pencil or as you say a shiny object and and how do you really for places that are resource strapped you know i, I know harlem's in new york city but but you talked to you told a story of kind of the the the, parad the paradox in which it exists its history and its and its uh, structural challenges how do you make this accessible, not only in New York and LA, but in places like, uh, you know, Lamar County, Mississippi, or, or Tennessee, or Alabama? How do we figure out how to scale this and, and eliminate access challenges? I love, I love that question. Um, so when we started, we were in resource-strapped environments. Um, you had issues with connectivity. Um, you had device uh, constraints. And then you also had situations where there was just like so many different types of technologies that were in a classroom. You had your Chromebooks, you had your smart board, um, you had your devices. Um, and then we were, we were working with a lot of third party platforms and third party content providers. So we had to do a lot of makeshift solutions to even make it work in the beginning, right? And we ran into a variety of challenges. Sometimes content lived on platforms that weren't necessarily education friendly. Um, there were setup times could be a challenge, particularly with younger students and you only have 45 minutes in a class period. Um, internet challenges, you know, streaming issues, yeah. financial issues in terms of, get, so for us, it was really important to look at, you know, what was, what was the technology in the classroom that most students would have access to, right? And we saw that mobile phones, right? most students have a smartphone. So we built our platform literally around that concept first. How can we get best use out of what's there, right? Smartphones, laptops, what's the most widely used technology in schools? It's video. So for us, it was important to be ambidextrous, right? How can this content be consumed with or without a headset, flat or in an immersive way? How can it live on a platform that could mitigate startup times, right? Having device management control features as a part of it. How can we uh, ensure that we mitigate some of the challenges around connectivity? Well, you can download the experiences and now they're offline accessible. For, so for students that may not have access to internet 24 seven, when they do have access, then uh, um, they can download the experience and, and, and view it offline. So we, we literally started examining these problems because we were we were living them and we had to develop solutions to problem solve them quickly so so hopefully that answers your question those are some of the ways in which we, we, were, we were answering that call that's tremendous travis um you know adam and i sometimes feel like 
we uh, we almost live in two different worlds because on the one hand we talk to guys like you who are super you know uh, into all of the immersive technologies and are are excited about all of the things that that has to offer education. On the other hand, we also talk to a lot of folks who either are completely unaware or could not care less, right? Like I, I've told a few principals and teachers like, hey, I've been teaching in virtual reality lately. And they kind of look at me and they, uh, they, they go, you, you, mean, you mean Zoom? Like, are you, are you teaching on Zoom? I'll say no. And I'll show them my Quest 2 headset. And I'll say like, I, I strap into one of these and I teach students around the world in a 3D immersive environment. Um, what do you think is causing that divide? Why are there, on the one hand, a lot of early adapters in education for this technology, but on the other hand, a lot of folks who are either completely in the dark or just totally resistant to what's happening right now? Oh man, that, that, there, there are so many different ways to, to answer that. Sure. Um, wow, so I, I feel like a lot of teachers Right, that the pipeline of teachers that are coming out—they're—they're they're not necessarily in some. A lot of them are not graduating from education programs that have, you know, rich curriculum and preparedness around using a lot of new media in the classroom. So they come out with with a learning gap, right? Um, I think you also have just. In, in, in school environments that are experiencing a variety of challenges, you know, from poverty um, all the way through to learning disabilities, you're, you're, you're resource constrained in terms of where your priorities lie and, and, and what you need to do to overcome some of those barriers to get the job done. At the end of the day, it's teaching kids. So taking that step back to explore something new is not a luxury that a lot of teachers have. Right. Um, but I do believe that when we find opportunities to be sensitive to a lot of these constraints, we can innovate around adoption, right? And I think oftentimes when we look at the sector, a lot of the innovation is occurring um, on, on the software side, on the hardware side. And it's assumed that it will automatically be adopted. So right. for us, we placed a lot of emphasis and investment on, on the adoption side of the house. And we, we start here, right? What is the low tech of new media, right? And then we work our way up to a lot of those more immersive, interactive VR experiences that, that you're describing. So I think, I think it's difficult to just dive in to the really technical and immersive stuff without sort of covering some of the groundwork and meeting teachers where they are. That's tremendous. So, yeah. so to, to kind of play off of that a little bit, cause I do think that there's some, some, some real value for our listeners here in what you, in the insight you just shared, you know, most uh, teachers who are delivering instruction, their pain points are around time, right? They, they feel time strapped. And so I'm wondering what innovations on that, um, again, on that pedagogical side, you know, what, what innovations uh, are you seeing that are most helpful to giving teachers ways to maybe deliver, uh, help or facilitate learning more efficiently or, or address that pain point of teachers feeling kind of time strapped in this, in, uh, you know, in this, in this current context? Yeah, yeah, they, they, they are most certainly uh, time strapped. So, 
you know, everyone, everyone watches movies, everyone has experience with streaming. Our big focus is on, you know, cinematic VR, um, you know, 360 first, 2D video inside of VR environments. So we have tremendous media partners um, in, in this endeavor, you know, from Warner Media to the New York Times, um, you know, BBC content, Felix and Paul with them, they, they, they all partner with us. And what we do is we, we, take, we take that content Right, and we and we categorize them into a library that's understandable. So if I'm a history teacher, there is a history vertical of content that I can easily pull from. And what we do is we pair that content with lesson plans so that we mitigate a lot of the time that would go into finding content and developing lesson plans. And because most teachers are incorporating video um, into their lesson plans and in their instruction, in a lot of ways, we're already meeting them where they feel comfortable in their in their teaching practice. It's like, okay, here's a library of content. It's categorized. I want to use that video for this unit that I'm teaching on World War II. And awesome, there's also lesson plans that support that video. My 45 minutes is is, is done. My week is planned out. Um, I can I can turnkey this easily in a remote learning environment or in classroom. Um, so, so that's where we're kind of meeting teachers to mitigate some of those uh, time constraints. Now, and, and this is exclusively 360 video. You're not doing any CGI. You're not developing in Unity or Unreal or any of that. We're, right now, we're just focused on, right now we're just focused on 2D video and 360 video. And, and, and you're curating some of the best 360 content out there and giving that to teachers. And how does the business model work? I know for some of our listeners, they're, their mouths are watering, ready to access this incredible 360 video content. So first question is, how do they access, access it? And two, is there the capacity? So, you know, that content is delivered on rails, like a movie. Is there the capacity to consume it in a social fashion with the entire class and the teacher? And what platform do you use if there is such a capacity? Um, awesome. So we love social VR. Um, we think there's outstanding opportunity to incorporate it into our practice. And we're actually in the process of developing social VR features so that content can be viewed inside of immersive environments. So we, we see the opportunity for it, for sure. So as a teacher, I can actually curate, right, an experience for all of my students to participate in a VR experience remotely. I can control everyone's devices from my user account, press play, press pause to ask questions about a particular scene. And that same functionality also works in person, right? So, so that's where we- Is that through your platform or through an, a manager, through a third party platform? How does that that's, work? that's through our platform. Great. That's through our platform. Um, and uh, in terms of um, how students access the content or access the platform. Everyone gets a user account created for them. Um, we create user accounts for the entire school. Um, there are classrooms for each teacher, so they have their individual and unique environments that's tailored to their teaching practice, their history content, their history teacher, um, their, their, uh, their math content if they're a math teacher. And students can also access this content either through the web, right? So there's a there's a web application of our platform, and they can also they can also use those same user credentials on a mobile application they can download on iOS or, or Android. That's tremendous, Excellent. Travis. I would love to hear more about <clears throat> writing for the New York Times. Like, how did you 
get involved with writing the VR and education guide for the New York Times? And, uh, you know, how did you go about planning out what you would tell the world about VR and education? Yeah, so um, one of the great things about um, immersive media and cinematic VR is that it's great for social and emotional learning. I mean, Cell is, is, is incredibly popular right now um, across the K through 12 spectrum. And it's a great opportunity to spark conversations and engage in those conversations in an empathic way. Um, New York Times is a, is a great media partner of ours. And we, we just developed just beautiful, you know, lesson plans around their content that was being used in school environments that you wouldn't even consider to be prime opportunities for this technology. And because we found ways to offset a lot of the, you know, resource constraints, technology constraints with integrating this kind of technology, um, you know, using this media in this way, uh, we, we, we sparked the interest of, of, of the New York Times. And they wanted to know, you know, how, how are you getting teachers to do this, right? How are you able to get this inside of school environments that are, are, are quite difficult to incorporate technology? And we, we said, this is our library of lesson plans. This has been working incredibly well. Teachers love it because it sparks conversations on, on, on subjects that are difficult to have and subjects that are fun to have. Um, and and we, we came up with the idea of putting together a guide um, that, and if, I don't know if you had a chance to look at the publication or look at the guide, but it's so user-friendly. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's very user-friendly. It's extremely down to earth. Um, it's, Travis, it's, for our listeners, can they access the guide on your website, Lucid Realities? Is that where they can find it? Re Lucid Reality Studio? So the guide is actually on the New York Times Learning Network. Okay. Um, I, 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 it's a long URL, but I will, um, I'll provide you with the, with the URL and you can, you can Google, um, you know, Tech Road Virtual Guide and it'll show up on like the first page of Google results. For our listeners, we'll put the, uh, the URL in the show notes. Awesome. And it's a PDF guide that you can download and there's also a, 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 a webpage version of it as well that's hyperlinked to uh, individual experiences that are tied to lesson plans. And, and um, that's really what makes the, the, the media so profound inside of the learning environment is that it's uniquely tied to lesson plans and easy to turnkey and, and easy for a teacher to just use. And, and there's activities for students to participate in um, once they've gone through an experience uh, together. So all of that is inside of the guide. You know, it's like your how-to on 360 video and lesson plans in, in, a, in a classroom environment. And is that uh, free for teachers or how is that? It is free. Wow. The guide is free. It, you can download it. You can, you know, review it, have a look, pick a lesson plan that you like. Um, it, it's, it's all there. And the great thing is that um, all of the content that's in the publication also lives on the TechRow platform. So um, for anyone that's interested in the TechRow platform, um, right now we have a school solution, but we'll be opening up um, a, a direct to uh, consumer solution so that an educator can use it outside of a, a, a school user license and a parent can use it if they want their kids to diversify their screen time with something that is engaging, but also uh, educational too. That's true. I think... 
I think like Adam said, uh, you know, we're just blown away by the innovation around implementation. You know, he and I have both seen time and time again, great ed tech products come through and it's like, you know, uh, not to pick on LMSs, but you know, the classic example in my mind is a school gets a new LMS, nobody's trained on it, nobody's told about, you know, the cool features that actually benefit students. Teachers don't use it effectively. At the end of the year, the administration is looking to cut the budget and it's the first line item that goes, right? Um, I love that you are innovating around implementation because that's the missing piece for so many ed tech innovations. Um, I'm wondering if you have a favorite success story around that implementation. Do you have a, a teacher or a school that just really sticks out in your mind as, wow, you know, these guys were a little skeptical at first maybe, but they, they gave it a try and they're so thrilled that they did and their students have made whatever gains. Do you have any stories like that? Uh, yeah, um, so we also, we also do courses as well on how students can create their own immersive stories. And one of our partners is Harlem Children's Zone. We've got a really great program there where students are learning how to create their own experiences. So they use our library of content as inspiration, and then that's supported by, you know, an e-learning um, an e-learning course module where they where they learn the ins and outs of creating your own 360 experience. So our our, our theme was around climate change. Um, New York City is, is surrounded by water. Um, it's, it's a large metropolitan area that is deeply impacted by climate. So we wanted students to learn through the eyes of fantastic creators through our media library. And they use that as inspiration to create their own experiences. And the piece that they created was just beautiful. Um, I, I, I love that story because it was an example of curriculum adoption. It was an example of, of creating so not only consuming and it touched on all of the points that we try and drive home how can we get uh, how can we get students to not only be intelligent consumers of media and technology but also intelligent creators um, so it hit all of those points for us and the final product is a beautiful cinematic vr experience on how climate change is impacting new york city um, there's another another great uh, another great success story that I really like, and it happened during the pandemic. So we were working with an organization in LA on on college readiness and college preparedness. And as you know, the pandemic has made it difficult to do university tours. And a lot of our students were first generation. They didn't come from you know households where college is a normal part of conversation, but they are academically gifted. Right, and the missing piece is exposure to what university is like and what that culture is like. So we we combined college preparedness curriculum with uh, so like financial aid. How do you apply for financial aid? You know, how do you sort between safety schools and so forth? It's about a ten week long program, and it's supported by immersive media where students can participate on university tours. Um, our first cohort of students was over, was over, it was about 30 students and they all applied for college, all of them. Some of them received, and I think 80% of them received scholarships. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's just a great success story. And, and what we learned from that program is that, you know, we wanted to reverse a lot of the culture shock that could happen with a first generation student when they land in university. So giving them that experience where they can get early exposure in an environment that's safe for them, coupled with 
a program that's teaching them the ins and outs of how to apply for college and how to be successful once you're on college was, was also a great success story. And it's a testament that all these students got into college and, and applied. So that's something that we're very, very proud of. And we're in, and we're in the second iteration of that program in LA and it's, and it's, and it's on an expansion track for the Los Angeles Unified School District. So that's really, really exciting. Um, there's another, there's another great example of, uh, a middle school um, that we were working with in Harlem where they wanted to incorporate, um, they wanted to beef up their, their curriculum and their, and their classroom offerings. And we created a New York City DOE approved um, VR makers curriculum that became a part of the day curriculum of this school. And this is a school that's, you know, uh, you know 15 and 10% um, age proficiency in math and literacy respectively. Um, you know, Title I school, uh, you know, primarily 99% Black and Latino. So to be able to incorporate something like that that became systemically a part of day curriculum um, was, was a tremendous achievement for us. And we're in our, we're in our third year of that. Um, so, so those to me are, are strong success stories because it's not, it, it's not only about us putting a platform in an organization for them to use, but it's stakeholder buy-in, you know, students buying in, teachers buying in, administrators buying in, and them making the decisions on, on how to use this to advance their mission. So it's not us pushing our mission on them. It's us saying, hey, here are the tools. We're here to support you. How, how can we make this work to advance a core area in, in, in your school environment and, and in your program. So to me, those are the best success stories um, that I can think of. And, and there are others, but those, those come to mind immediately. Those are absolutely tremendous. And I think, you know, another thing that your, your success stories highlight is, is something that Adam and I talk about often, which is so often when we talk about ed tech, people think of it as being only for the elite private schools, only for students that have everything. When the reality is, as you've just highlighted with your stories, EdTech and, and immersive technology in particular has a tremendous power to democratize education and to democratize student achievement um, and make things accessible for first-generation college students in your example or other students that are, um, you know, that don't have the same privileges as some of the elite private school students have. Um, you're putting that within arm's reach for those students. And I, I would love to hear, um, you know, do you encounter skeptics that say like, you know, ed tech is only for the elite and, and then you are able to change their minds with stories like this? You know, I, I, I think it depends on who I'm speaking to. Sure. Uh, it, you know, but I think there are some, First and foremost, the, 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 the schools that we work with, and I would say arguably say that most underserved schools are, are desperately looking for ways to be more innovative in their practice. So 99% of the time, you know, we're being welcomed with, with open arms and it's like, how can we do this, right? So that, that's first and foremost. I believe that the skeptics though are coming from elite parts of society, if I had to, if I had to say, because there's a disconnect between, you know, what's normal, right, when you come from a background of means, and, and what you think, right, should be normal, 
in communities that, that don't come from need. So I think it's very difficult to conceptually imagine, you know, how can a school in the South Bronx or how could programs in, in Compton, you know, Pacoima and, and, and Harlem be places where this technology could even be used, right? All the stories you hear, but it's actually some of the best places for this technology to live because you, you don't see incremental growth, you see tremendous growth. And you can really only go up. Um, you, you can't really, you, you can't go down, right? Um, so so I, I would say it depends on, on, on who you're having the conversation with. Yeah. And, and the same thing that we're doing in communities that are resource constrained, we're doing the same thing in communities that have tremendous amounts of resources because the issues are similar, right? The, the, in terms of adoption, in terms of how do you integrate this thing into a way that's usable, right? Th th those issues still remain to be the same. It's just identifying ways to make it a cultural fit to the school or the program that's going to adopt the technology. So our, we're not pivoting too much, right? We're just adjusting to the culture of, of our stakeholders. Travis, how do we, uh, you know, there's still just not a lot of VR content out there, whether that be CG content or 360 uh, video. How do we get that to scale up quickly to meet the demand of education? How do we find ways, and you've been in this space curating content and developing partners from creators how do we get uh, more incentives in place for more VR content built? Right. So reducing the cost of production, I believe, is a great way to do that. Finding opportunities for uh, content creators to monetize on their content because that incentivizes more production. What does it cost per minute to produce a 360 video these days? The, so, so in, in all honesty, we're, we're using like the best media right so the the production costs of, of, of these of, of the content that we're using is being largely funded by you know government organizations like the ministry of culture um and education in france for example has fun so, so they're getting big budgets so you're looking at you know half a million dollar productions could go all the way up to, to wow. two million they're, they're expensive so you're um, telling me i'm in the wrong business sorry ryan no <laughs> Well, All well right. I, I'll, I'll carry the podcast torch by myself from here on. Yeah. So they're, they're, quite, they're, they're quite expensive pieces um, and, and they're blockbuster pieces, like award-winning. They're on the film circuits, like film festival, Sundance. So how I think, do you guys afford that? How do you guys afford to, or, or are you, how do, how do you keep the lights on with that kind of business model? We don't produce the content. Okay. And you don't pay for it either? Um, sometimes we acquire, we do content acquisitions. Okay. Um, so we act as like a, a distributor of the content. Got it. Got it. Um, or we do, or we do partnerships. It, it varies. Um, we, we benefit from, from a few things like AT&T is an investor in, in tech row. AT&T is the parent company of Warner media. So we get access to a very large library of, of, of media through, through that relationship. Um, just as an example, but, but, but I think we will see an increase of content in the market that's aligned to education when the demand increases, right? So we have to show the value of this content to education so that demand increases. 
I think a great way to accelerate the inventory of content on the market is to find cost-effective ways of production, right? Um, and, and also uh, um, resource uh, productive ways in, 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 in producing this content as well, because it can be a very difficult thing to coordinate on the ground. Um, so if we could find a, a, a nice equilibrium between those three things, which, which I think we've done a really good job at, you know, demonstrating demand, establishing value, um, is there any is there any academic domain or any content that you feel like is missing? And if you could wave a magic wand and say, "Hey, content producers, I need you to work on this," you know, here's the here's here's where we need a gold rush, or here's where we needed an injection of uh, creative and interesting educational content. Where would you uh, direct a content producer? I would say math. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> yeah, we've been saying that for a while. I would say, I would say, I would say math, but, but not, see, see this is the thing. What, what we do is we, we, we try to like show this, we, we try to make everything a story, right? Because as human yeah. beings, we, we gravitate and we're attracted to storytelling. It's, it's, it's our first exposure to language is, is, is conversation. Communicate. So, so I think we focus on math, but we do it in a way where, it, 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 it shows the human side of, of math. Word right? problems in VR would be amazing, dude. Ryan, be outstanding. Last, guys, this is the last episode. Ryan and I will be building the VR. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do that, I want to partner with you because we would love to, we would love to fill that, that gap in our library for sure. All right, look, we'll talk we'll offline, brother. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get yeah. it going. Right, guys, <laughs> I think it's time in the episode for... The Furious Five. I think you're right, Adam. Travis, we like to end things off with a segment we call the Furious Five. This is going to be five questions that don't necessarily have anything to do with what we've talked about this evening, but that are just kind of more fun, get to know you sort of questions. Uh, we encourage rapid fire, one or two sentence answers so that we can just power through the end of this episode here. First question of the Furious Five, what's the best meal you've eaten recently? Oh, had a great sushi meal recently. Nice. Um, which was nice. outstanding. Uh, it's like very nice. I love sushi. Excellent. I do too. Yeah. Second question of the Furious Five: What's the best TV show or movie you've watched recently? Oof. Um. So in our own library, I'm going to be selfish in this. Go for uh, it. I've James really plugs are allowed here. <laughs> like to, we like to eat our own dog food. You know. That's it. That's it. Uh, so so yeah, I I really like um this Emmett Till experience that we had in our library, I thought it was just awesome. Um, it's a New York Times produced piece and it, 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 it was just super, just brilliantly done. So I really enjoyed that. Tremendous. What's your favorite book of all time? All the King's Men. Wow, wow, nice. Love that book. Who is a thought leader that you think all of our listeners should stop what they're doing and either go follow on social media or go buy a book that's written by them or, you know, watch a Ted talk or whatever. Hmm. I've been really, um, I, I've been, I'm really passionate about listening to speeches. Nice. Um, and, and I think, and I actually look at like old footage speeches sometimes because they're just so inspiring. So, so some old footage speeches that I've been looking at, is like Malcolm X, um, Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Um, and what I what I love about how they speak is that they, they do it in a way 
where they're using language that's understandable, an important cause, important impact, but it's also deeply passionate and emotional and, and stirring, right? It makes you feel uncomfortable, right? But also gets you to think, right? And, and they do it in a way that's, that's quite overt, you know? So um, those are a couple of, of folks that I can think of. So if you're in a civil, uh, civil rights and, and um, you know, those, those types of uh, areas, they're, they're, they're great speeches to, to look at old footage. Going back to the classics, I love it. Yep. Last question of the Furious Five is really Adam's question. So at this point in the show, I always turn the mic back over to him. <laughs> Travis, what do you know to be true about a successful 360 video math experiment that other VR practitioners would disagree <laughs> with you on? What do I know to be true? I, I don't know. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to take a pass on that. I can tell you this though. Um, we were looking at workarounds, right? We had like this library had nothing to do with math overtly, right? But it was, it was taking students to the Taj Mahal and it was taking students to Machu Picchu. So he said, hmm, this might be a good opportunity to introduce concepts on distance, right? Um, and, 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 and it actually worked, right? So for students that had difficulty understanding conceptual, conceptually long distances and, and units of, of measurement to calculate distance, having that frame of reference in their mind was helpful in, in, in looking up, you know, the distance between you from New York City to Machu Picchu or from, or from cool. South Rose to- Excellent Taj answer. Yeah. Traps, where can our listeners find you on social media? Um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, you can find me, uh, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is, is, I love LinkedIn. That's my favorite, you know, social awesome. media channel. So please feel free to connect with me then. Happy to connect. Tremendous. Travis, yeah. thank you so much for being on the show. We may get cut That's off. So we're, running, we're running it lean here at uh, ready teacher one, <laughs> but thank you so much. Uh, yeah. we are thrilled to follow up and of course be your first providers for math VR curriculum. <laughs> Let's talk. That sounds great. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Thank yeah. you for having me, guys. This was Thank great. Thank you, Gravis. It was so oh, great to talk right. to you. All right, take, take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.